We're getting deeper and deeper and up in the sky, your face. At a house right by the highway. It's beating false day with every new day. Hello, 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 hello. After featuring one of the most distinctive bassists in rock, Bruce Thomas, on last week's show, we decided to do something a little bit different for this episode. The London-based Teutonic duo Leisure Tank are bombastic yet tuneful and carry the delicate balance between aggression and groove in an authoritative and unique manner. They are also a band who do not require the services of a bassist. Do you see what we did there? Our interview with Leisure Tank is actually the tale of two bands, both duos, and featuring both our studio guests today. Having met each other in late 90s Berlin, Booty and Casey initially formed, played and toured extensively under the name Casey McKenzie with a folk-infused sound. Some six years later, and with a change of instrumentation, direction and bass, the Teutonic Twosome formed Leisure Tank. For the next 110 minutes or so, you'll find out about how criminality can lead to creativity and that friendly stealing can influence a nickname. Our guests will also wax lyrical about line dance riots, gigs being interrupted by Nazis, how to mic up a fart pillow, and what it's like to play amongst the island monkeys. All will be revealed later. But first, we need to advertise the show that you're already listening to. Are you troubled by spots, blemishes, and flaky skin? Well, Download the Dookie Radio Show every Monday and your skin will be looking clear, radiant and luscious in no time. The Dookie Radio Show, your key to beautiful skin. Oh, hello, darling. Has anybody told you that you've got beautiful skin? Yes, all the time. The Dookie Radio Show does not condone criminality, but in this particular case... I think we might need to be extra liberal because it was criminal activity that led to the formation of the band Leisure Tank. And with me in the studio, I have Booty. Hello. And I have Casey. Hello. Welcome. I understand that you guys formed in a slightly unorthodox manner. Booty, you apparently broke into Casey's flat. This is an intriguing introduction into the world (laughs) of Leisure Tank. Tell me more. 
<laughs> oh, well, uh, pretty easy. Uh, it was a beautiful sunny day in uh, East Berlin where I had my flat uh, sitting on the balcony and just looking down on the street, enjoying being a musician. So having a day off and another one and another one. And <laughs> so there was a beautiful girl in the streets walking to the left, to the right, going back into the door coming out, looking to the left, to the right, walking back in. So I thought, that's the way you look if you lose your keys and uh, can't get in, in your own flat. So I went down and I thought, well, ask her. It looks beautiful. And that was the reason she lost her keys and didn't know how to get in. So um, being in Berlin for several years, I knew how to open those doors, those old-fashioned Uh, flat doors. So I helped her to get in that door. I met this girl several times from then on and it turned out that she's a friend of Casey's staying with her. And uh, so I got to know Casey and Casey got to know me and yeah. So to use an Americanism, you jimmied the lock. <laughs> did this involve the use of a credit card at he did, all? No, he broke, he basically broke the door really? frame. Really? The, the door frame was, yeah, was... it had to be like, do you know the stuff that looks like wood once it's dry that you have to fix mm. broken door frame that way? We had to do that later because he just used a screwdriver to brutally open the door. I, but I, that's common. That used to be common back then. Some people I knew had never had keys. They just had screwdrivers they carried around with them. Right, so you'd repair the door and then you'd break it again to gain entrance to your abode. <laughs> well, from then on, Who needs I, keys when you've got screwdrivers? Exactly, mm. that's, that's how these doors used to work. I mean, not anymore there, but in those days. And how did you get on with the... The girl that you were trying to impress with your Jimmy skills. Well, that was quite a nice affair for some some weeks in the summertime. But pretty soon it turned out that um, she didn't live there. She was just visiting. And uh, no, it was just a nice summer affair. Fair enough. <laughs> and Casey, to meet your future musical partner in crime through these memes. You've said in Berlin it was common at that time. But surely in the back of your head you might have thought, hello. This guy could be a wrong'un. No. <laughs> I mean, look at him. <laughs> and then you... Thanks. <laughs> and then you discovered that you had more than just a friend stroke lover in common, but musical interests. And in your bio, it states that while, Booty, you were out doing an interesting job, which I'll come to later... Casey, you were engaging in some stalking activity where you were going through the record collection of, of Booty and yeah. looking through four-track tape recordings and stuff. What did you discover about Booty? Um, well, Booty gave me the keys to his flat, which was opposite of mine, and he had um, 4,000 records or something. Like, he had... He has a big vinyl collection. And I, at that time, I'd, I had just moved to Berlin from a very, very small... Um, village so I didn't I just had like 10 records or something so not a big collection and uh, my, my flea mark, market activities just started then so but I saw Booty's record collection and I thought hey that saves me lots of money and time if I just listen to those records here and I don't have to don't have to buy them all myself to find out this one's shit this one's shit wait and wait there are many <laughs> good ones <laughs> yeah uh, most of them are really good booty mm. so so I I For the first time in my life, basically, I had them because that was pre and before internet and before, before you could have just access to things like and so and I I wasn't so um, exposed to music that much um, in the small town where I'm from. So I I just 
went through all the records I always wanted to listen to, like in full, not just a radio track or something. And um, and then Booty had all these instruments. I used to play a little bit guitar, and so I just and I could work with his four track and it, I just realized that um, um, this is what what I want to do this is really this is really interesting or, or just time flies and I don't know where it's gone because I'm busy with that and so so Buddy was a great source for information about um, for about what what is music where where is it coming from what and the I think the biggest input that he he gave me without even noticing was that you don't have to be um which the germans are always a lot about is that you have to be educated very very good in a in a in the field you want to work in or, mm. or do things in and he said you don't have to do that because here's a, a hundred thousand examples of people who don't know shit about music but they're making music and they're enjoying it and i think that was the main input that um I, I was just I can just do this if I want to mm. I don't have to go to a certain school or have an um, um, go to a music school or something no if you enjoy doing this then just do this and so and somebody and then he came home and listened to these four track recordings that I did just really simple songs with like two or three voices on top and a bass line and stuff like that and he he was so happy to hear and he, he, he saw something and I thought someone with such a knowledge about music he doesn't just say that to be nice and so someone believing in what you do what, for the first the time now uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but someone just believing in what you do for the first time and says go on with it this is good and not just like you talk to a little kid you know like this is nice but just really like i want to and he actually wanted to be part of it i think that um was was um a huge step to okay i'm um, this is not just a silly dream. This is, it's it's okay if I do this. Like, so um, yeah, this is all quite serious. But this is basically the the fundament of a friendship that um, there was someone to communicate with about these things because I n- I've never met someone before that I could actually talk to these things in detail about, uh, uh, talk about these things, or talk about songwriting, or talk about um, influence, or what you're trying to create. Because I've I haven't had friends since uh, until then that were so. From into music from this angle, like right. Booty is. From a timeline point of view, we're talking about the late 90s here when you yeah, first yeah. met. Yeah. So Berlin, late 1990s, you're rummaging through 4,000 records yeah. and many four-track tapes owned by Booty. At that particular stage, had you ever performed live or were you just somebody that composed at home? What was your headspace in terms of being a musician at that particular time? Um, I was never really performing. I mean, I went to, I, I had a, I had a, a awful guitar teacher. I mean, he taught me to hold the instrument, you know, and, and some Mozart stuff. But um, he was like, we had these music school now everybody comes and plays and it was just i hated it and everyone come had to come hated it it was it was very different from when i see kids here showing what they learn throughout the year and um there were bands and i was in a band but then we had an um we had, it was like a grunge slash punk thing and i even wrote a few tunes for him but we had a gig and i just last minute i said i can't do this because i was too stage fright and i think it was because i didn't really feel happy with it or something but um i actually never really performed and uh, maybe once in school or something but it was 
yeah, it wasn't really, really a thing. And so, and, and I think that's why it was so important that Budi was just saying, let's do this, because I, I didn't have any experience. And I thought, okay, I'm 17. I should have had experience already, because all the others do. <laughs> and they know it since they're 12, what they want to do or something like that. So the, um, and the, my headspace was just not about, I'm going to be a musician. I was still in school as well, and I wanted to be a painter. So there wasn't really a, um, a, a thing about, but I, I just knew that it's, it's the force of it is so strong. You know, you're just drawn into, and every musician kind of knows what I'm talking about. I think that you just go back to it, no matter what, no matter how much it disappoints you, no matter how you hear your recording for the first time, you think, God, that sucks. But still you go back. You know, you mm. go back into the torture chamber and it's just, why am I doing you this? You call my flat a torture chamber. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Especially <Thanks>. our <laughs> rehearsal room. Is well, you had a lot of screwdrivers yeah. used for um, <laughs> unorthodox purposes. Exactly. And I was collecting doors. <laughs> right. <laughs> Talking of jobs, while Casey was rummaging through your vinyl, you had a, an interesting job apparently beating up hooligans and uh, <laughs> anti-social behaviour was being controlled by your good self. Did you have any affiliation with the local police or what was the <laughs> job that you were involved with? Well, I had some cardboard, so I cut out in my own police badge, put it on and went through the streets. No. Um, no, I, I've... Uh, Yeah, well, how, well, I did it. I, I learned a job. Yes, it was a social worker. And I just started working in that area as an educator with youth uh, in East Germany, in, 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 in East Berlin, uh, in an area with only skyscrapers and um, poor conditions and very, very, very many uh, single households and a lot of drugs and alcohol and there was just a youth just well it was youth center everybody could come in from the age six to 27 because by german law and from 18 to 27 you're still a young adult absolutely so if you behave very stupidly you can still be judged by um, youth law I, i think is a term for that and um Yeah, and I worked with people who behaved as if they were 15 or 12 and couldn't read the clock and uh, were 22, 25. And so that's what I did. I gave musical lessons to them. And if they didn't want to play any piano or drums or guitar or bass, uh, then we just played um, table tennis or ping pong or um, table football. Anything, anything you do with youth. Uh, You can. I, I did. I think the youth law needs to be increased in age because Lord knows, I know Up to far the age too of many 35. people. <laughs> yeah, I think the age of 60. I know some people <laughs> a couple of years older than 27 who are most definitely behaving not so much like 15-year-olds as 10-year-olds, but more about that another time. <laughs> so the two of you found a bond through music. Casey, from the sounds of it, you hadn't education through rummaging through Booty's vinyl and between that and your the residency that you both had at uh, an open mic night that you ran on a weekly basis in Berlin mm -hmm. what was the timeline between when you first met and when you first started writing together and also when you first performed uh, under the name <clears throat> Casey McKenzie 2004 I believe we um, had our first gig in Hamburg which was promoted by a friend who said oh I, I love what you're doing because we made this little demo CD and stuff and um, 
he said, I love what you're doing. Let's have a gig here. And it was great because it was, he, he knew it was kind of the first gig. So he made sure it's all like carefully planned and really sweet. And, um, you know, it was just, um, booty on double bass and me on, uh, uh, guitar in this small little punk, uh, pub. And it, we were playing very quietly and everything. So it, but it was, it was, it was nice to get a feel for it. And so, we met in like 99 or 98 and then 2004 I, I started to take it more seriously to say um, um, okay let's because we, we were always just very often playing songs we both liked because we were both feeling that we are just testing testing things trying out things I've never sung before and Woody has never played bass before so it was like we both ha had to give each other a lot of room when we were rehearsing and say okay we like this song this is a Dolly Parton song, let's try to sing it. We can't sing it, obviously. Okay, let's do another song. Or maybe we can busk and try to do something like that. And Booty had an act as um, Joe Budinsky, which is uh, uh, from a movie that he played, and he played this character, this kind of like fallen, actually gay cowboy type who is trying to go into the extra masculine side to... Um, to um, forget about his kind of soft side, and he meets this lady boy who brings out a soft side and he almost wants to kill himself everything happening in spain and in a <laughs> three in nice a, weeks in spain in a park <laughs> nice in, in a, and they run through a park with just like really big phallus statues and it's it's a beautiful like super eight movie that Con his friends concrete made. vaginas the size that you can walk in yeah stuff oh, my like word that. yeah it's well, i know a couple of flats which are like that exactly <laughs> no need for a screwdriver <laughs> <laughs> so um and so so he he established this guy Joe Budinsky from this from this movie to have his own musical career so and he has a drum on his back and and plays it with his feet and he and he um plays guitar and so um I think so and and that was actually my first gig that I was as Casey McKenzie on stage um playing banjo accompanying him um as a a, a, a punk band of ours who who played covers of of yeah, pop songs. No, no, they played these uh, Iron Maiden uh, Iron stuff Maiden, uh, in a yeah. country version uh, under Run to That Hill in a country version, stuff like Brilliant. that. Brilliant. A bit like Hey yeah. Dixie. Yes. Yeah, well, that just, was before that. So just, they oh, actually right. invented it. You know? Right. So. They think we think they did, but <laughs> we did, you don't really know. They started that in the they early the 2000s, first. and they were the the first thing. They were the first in playing in and in punk shops and punk pubs all um, all over Germany with this idea, playing punk songs to the punks in a in a country style. Um, they let grow moustaches, so they had really difficulties to get into some of their uh, those pubs to play, um, even <laughs> though was, they were ordered to play the there. Time, you know, when you had a moustache then, you were really a dick. Right, and now it, it seems as though you're a dick if you don't have exactly. a full but, beard. But that yeah. was then, it was, that's, that's a, he looks like Magnum, what the heck is he doing here? You know, he must be really, really, uh, it's really funny to see how it evolved. And, well, yeah, and so they had a big show in show. Berlin then with 300 people about, I think, attending. And they asked me to do the support. And uh, so after having our open stage through this theater for some weeks, months, I don't know, we thought, well, let's do it. Casey, join me for some songs. Now we rehearse two or three songs. Join me. That was your first show uh, in front of some people <laughs> yeah it was really good it was at the famous SL 36 which is still going which is like the biggest old punk 
used to be Squat, I think. Now it's just yeah, a venue. And now squatted it's for 35 on, on years Straße, which is like everybody ever been to Berlin or everybody being there in the 70s, 80s, 90s knows this place. So it, it's quite a good thing. It's, it's quite a, a strong thing to have on your agenda. Like, yeah, I did that, you know, played that. <laughs> now, the two of you being here, it's very much a tale of two bands. Although you're here as Leisure Tank, and we'll be discussing your work as Leisure Tank in detail later, you did form and initially operate under the name Casey McKenzie. Yeah. Now, I presume, with both of you being German, that McKenzie is not a surname for either of you. No. Oh, man, it's Schmidt Müller McKenzie. You Indeed, yeah, it's, it's one, of the, one of those strong yeah. German names. Yeah. Uh, and if it's spelled <laughs> M-A-C, it's Austrian. Um, <laughs> <laughs> How did you come about using that particular name, that alias? Um, it was a nickname my friends gave me. They were just like, Casey, Casey McKenzie, that sounds good. I don't know. And then I had a bike that my friend stole and gave to me. She was like into stealing bikes. She More criminal it. activity. Wow. Yeah, but she only stole bikes that... Needed a lot of work. <laughs> that needed love, you know. Right. Like she loved bikes. She was really good at working and, and putting them together. So she was like, oh, this beautiful bike standing for like three weeks. I can't stand it anymore, you know. Friendly stealing. Loving burglary. Yeah, yes. exactly. And the, the bicycle. And she, she sprayed on it Casey McKenzie for me. And then so it was like, this is your bike. And say, like, oh, God, there's a name again. And then it was time to, to do that gig with Booty at the at the SL36. And so we, um, I was just, you need a name for the flyer. You know, that's very important stuff. Like, you need a name. And that's what you get. You stick with it if you use, use that for the first time. And I thought it, um, because the, the, it, at that time, maybe not anymore so much, but um, maybe it's going down here as well, but I'm not sure, um, is that where the band is from is very important when and, and they always had in brackets in the back when you go to a club in berlin it says netherlands or u.s or whatever and when it's u.s or if, if it's if it's a uk or something it used to be like oh yeah oh they come from far away um to play here and um they, they must be good at it because they're originals or something like that and i wanted to just not confuse people too much but to eliminate this obvious um, oh, she's German. At the time, I think it was uh, people were looking much more at where where are these people from? Oh, they're they're real Americans, so they must be good at what they're doing, especially if it's country influenced music or folk music. I wanted people to give us a chance, without judging by the name of it. So I didn't want it to just be a, a obviously German name or something. So I I chose a name that that sounds. A little bit like could be Americana something in there. I don't know. And um, some people got really offended by it. They were like, "Then why do you call yourself that? You really fooled me here." And I was like, "Oh yeah, you paid seven seven euros entry, and now you feel like, oh, it was just a wolf in a sheepskin, or what? What what did you think when you heard the music? Yeah, I right, I liked it, but now that I know that you're German, I thought, well, I think this is your problem and not mine. Absolutely. You know, it's not that I'm I'm trying to sing with a Texan accent or something. And I'm trying to sing with a Texan accent or something, or talking in between as if I'm a farmer or something from 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 the US. You know, I'm just I'm just making music. I'm not trying to copy anything here. And the Germans are very they really have difficulties with. In which box should I put this thing? And you say it doesn't have a box. Then then I throw it away. You know, because it's. <laughs> 
Because it, it has to have a box. And I think because time's passed and stuff, things are a bit easier now. But they, they used to be... So it, it helped us to be named Casey McKenzie. And even when we later had a label and, and, and he was like, yeah, let's just keep this name because it's good. It's good. People, people need that here. They need to be a little bit... Um, like, they need to be fooled into this a little bit, to learning to love it because they have this little... I can't love it because she's just one of us. Mackenzie, we know where that came from. Casey, are they actual initials of yours, or do you, do you just have a, an affiliation in some way or a yeah, love my for Kansas City? And yeah, <laughs> Korean chicken, um, Kurt Cobain. Um, so much you can do with that. Um, I quite like Korean chick, really. That's <laughs> that's thinking outside the box. Yeah, um, that's been your nickname a while before that. Yeah, my, my real name is Katalin. My, my first name, my, which my mother chose for me. And it's quite an unusual name. It's a Hungarian name. And it's not very, very common. And I've only met like one person or so who has the same name than me. So it was always difficult for people because they go like, what is it? What? Katalin? No, I never heard that before. Can I just call you Kati? No, my sister's name Kati. You can't. And so a lot, lot of times people just went, oh, I just call you KC then. And then right. when I when I wrote it for the first time, I was like, if you write it like that, it's KZ. When you write that, no, just bucket k.c you know and so that's where the where it comes from actually and yeah so that's just that's just how all the that's i think we just burst all the mystery bubbles now i'm so we? sorry yeah casey <laughs> casey really is actually korean uh she is indeed a chick and all of this german malarkey it's just made up so just get over it 2004 as Casey McKenzie, you perform your first gig. This then leads further down the road with a weekly night that you hosted in Berlin. Yeah, that was adventurous. Which venue was that at? And is that venue still around? It's oh, a the, church. It's, it's a church, a chapel, I'd say. They still um, do funerals. They Excellent. Have, they, they do, do they do christenings though? Do they do both sides of the no, mortal no, coil? No, no. Just because people had booked funerals ahead for like a million years, just like if I die, I'm going to be buried here, and then you're in the book, and then that means as soon as that person dies, it's just going to be, and which means we had to transform the whole theater thing back into a funeral. Every, every Tuesday was funeral day, so rehearsals were on Monday, and that Monday night, putting it all back to, to church, uh, putting up the benches yeah. and the cross and everything. Sweeping apart up the all glitter. The yes. Glitter plus funerals. Yeah. Unless somebody had a, a glamtastic background, <laughs> probably not, there, not no. a great combination. And yeah, you no. would treat the engagement as an open mic night as well. Or did you actually book bands specifically? Oh, we did both. We, we just, they had a cellar. The catacombs, what yeah, you call like it? Catacombs. Underneath the, the crypt. Yeah. The and crypt. they, they turned yeah. that into a small performing thing as well. It had a little bar and it had a little stage and stuff. Really cosy and nice. And then we asked, because we were performing and, and nobody really got paid, we said, uh, how about we use the cellar for one night? 
a month or something. Got it in my head. Got it everywhere. Things you left out my Because we want to do something with music. Oh, with it was a monthly scene. engagement that you had. Yeah. A, a monthly residency. Well, we acted in, in, <laughs> in, in theatre plays and Woody wrote music for it and stuff. So we played a lot in theatre and we went on tour with them and stuff. But as a payment, we said, can we just use the room? Because that's something, we could do something really cool with it. And then we started an open stage called The Cellar Full of Folk, which some people here may have heard about it if they're into Sandy Denny, because she appeared on a BBC radio show called A Cellar Full of Folk, which only had, I think, two or three broadcasts back in the 70s. Right. There was A Cellar Full of Soul, which went quite longer, I think, in the 60s. Mm. And yeah, but we had recordings of Sandy Denny doing that, and uh, so... We, that inspired us uh, for the name. And we wanted to give folk a new platform because folk in Germany in those days, which was 2002, 2003, about that, that time, uh, it um, didn't ha- really have a name. It was just that um, people like Annie DiFranco became popular. Mm. And so folk was not yet established. So we thought, let's take this work and try where we can go with it. And a lot of... Uh, songwriters and folkies turned up and played and uh, it was always full it was always 11 to 15 people playing three songs and always an audience between 20 and 70 people sometimes sold out with 70 to 80 and that led us uh, that was that was fun doing all the poster work and flyer work by ourselves every uh, reminding ourselves to do that and so and that, we always played the opening song just to break the ice yeah, so I think I started doing idea. that and then and that you helped, took over and that helped us to um to basically, or it helped me a lot to learn how to perform because you just you have to do the first song no matter what. And it's actually good if you fuck it up because that gives people who want to play for the first time the feeling of, all oh, right, standards not so high, I can do this. <laughs> and we've seen many, many things that you, the do's and don'ts on stage. That was really a good education yeah, for a lot our of do's band as to well. start. There were lots of people who came people are traveling and they they came and they were just either on tour or something just saying yeah so you have an open stage i come in and it, just people we're still in touch with and and we're still friends with or it's just they're just amazing amazing step people on the doing... stage and own the whole room it's it's theirs and everybody's mm. focused no one's talking some people know how to do that and others don't that and you see funny. it on a level where people a lot of sometimes people came who were like semi famous mm. but they just try to try things out in front of an audience that they don't that don't know them so there were like german cabaret people who just oh, said yeah. okay i have this little notebook and i realized it has a like a phone but it has a it has a, a keyboard in it and i can play it with my pen so i wrote a song and i'm going <laughs> to sing it to you and it had like 15 verses my word about someone in an office trying to kill himself with office supplies right and he was accompanying himself on the little on, on the little phone notebook keyboard thing. <laughs> and it was just really good. And you could tell, okay, yeah, you need to maybe work a little bit on the verses. But and, and it was just All really, fifteen of them. All fifteen of them. But it was it was highly entertaining. And but you could just see it was like work in progress sometimes. Then they told us too he, that you he, they this can't, guy won many, many cabaret prizes. Yeah, that was the comedy later. prizes. He survived now. us and that was like giving him a a boost, I think. We helped him. <laughs> and then later there were there were things happening like the, the, the German Gamer didn't allow us that people could play other people's original material anymore. 
before, so people could only play things that were not re registered with the GEMA. Newsflash alert. GEMA is the Performance Rights Society of Germany. It's the equivalent of PRS here in the United Kingdom or ASCAP in the USA. And then we had to tell everyone that you can only play your own stuff now and if you're not registered with the GEMA because the theater didn't have a deal with them. Yeah. And brought them down. And there years. was this guy who came in and he was like, but I only play cover songs. I was like, I'm so sorry. I think you have to. No can do. No can do. Change all the lyrics. Ch change it. But he said, I want to play and I will. And he took a newspaper and sat in a corner and then it was his turn. And he came up and he sang this, a song that he just made, which was, did you hear Jesse Ar Arafat just died? He just sang the newspaper um, headlines. Right. That's a novel approach to dealing with writer's block. But it was really good. <laughs> was I mean, apart, he was, his, his face was, a whole, was tattooed in a clown that was part of the, what made him very interesting. I saw him later and I thought, oh, that wasn't makeup because he always has a whole clown face tattooed on his that's face. That's a commitment. That is yes. commitment. Yes. Yeah, that's that's more than getting a cat or a dog. Mm, indeed. Yeah. He must have been a big Yasser Arafat fan as well. Probably. Um, but he just he just took the newspaper on stage and sang the news. And But I was really amazed by I mean, they really stuck in your head. He'd had really good melodies to it. Read all about it. Read all Thanks to the GEMA regulations, a <laughs> new creative, creative resource. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he would have just played any old Roy Orbison song or whatever. <laughs> but That's a very good point. I understand uh, Booty was telling me off air that you had some interesting issues with performers. You had a vanishing musician. You had somebody turning up to a folk acoustic-themed night with electronic drums as well. Could yeah, you tell me a bit about the interesting characters that you dealt with? Well, the thing was, was that after doing this for a while, we thought, okay, um, there are so many impressing artists. Um, let's give them a night of concerts. So we picked, uh, I think every month, uh, had about eight concerts a year or ten. Um, every month we picked the three best we liked and gave them the chance, okay, you impressed us, so you want to play a show? 35 to 40 minutes, three acts, one night. And yes, so we did put up songwriter nights um, with, with those impressing characters. And so we seen someone on an acoustic guitar playing great songs with a very soft voice and said, you want to play a show? Yes, this is what we've seen. Please do it in the concert we organize for you. We do all the work. Just send us a photo and a line what you describe your music. Good. So we did all the work and the, um, the promo stuff. And then that night for concert, he showed up with a, a buddy accompanying him on electronic drums and he had an electric guitar and it was completely something else than what we booked and what we made promo for. What and, a mudlocker. And, and another one said, yeah, here's my photo, see you then. And he never turned up. He never turned up. We was wrote the photo nice? No. No. Oh, no. <laughs> Maybe photo booth. Right. <laughs> it was a cool. great guy when we saw him on the open, open midnight, but gone we, we called him that night several times we wrote emails next day we we uh, went past his house never heard of him again we for years his, we know where you live is, is he still alive he didn't die yeah he contacted he? me a few years later and really he did he apologize me, no he asked me about another gig if he can have another gig if he can find if i can help him find another, another gig. gig he didn't even take the first and i one. said to him oh, what about the one <laughs> 10 years ago and he was like oh yeah i just didn't feel like or something like that i don't um, know but you must understand like it, it really doesn't bother me if people uh, it didn't bother me when people show up with different gear it's just we were a bit i think 
now I can see that we were a bit of acoustic Nazis then. Like, because Berlin is always a lot about electronic music. And, <clears> and maybe we were just like, no, this is a folk thing. And, yeah, folk and, songwriting, yes. Just showing up in our wooden shoes or something. But I just, <laughs> um, so for us, it was a bit of an abomination to show up with with uh, electronic drums and but not it, it's not so much about that we felt or I felt that it's a problem for us in a in an in an uh, sense that um, this should all be acoustic. It was just really a problem um, technical wise because it was such a small place and basically people were amplified through one guitar amp. There wasn't a PA or something. Right, a so very it, basic exactly yeah, setup, so, perfect for an acoustic performer where you don't need a lot of power. But yeah, the acoustic was very good in the room itself, so mm, you didn't need much so, half the battle. So <laughs> it's it's it, for us, and we were the technicians as well, and we didn't know crap what we're doing, you know. So it was just well, really like when best. when somebody showed up with with with. Like, oh, can you just... This is my in-ear monitoring. What? <laughs> in-ear monitors in a crypt. Yes. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, we had lots of stuff of that like that, yeah. Because we felt this is a living room. Come on, just show up and play, you know? This is about your material, not so much about, like, uh, and I brought my laptop, you know? This is... No, we can't, we don't have anything to plug this into. So, and because this is about the song, you know? And not remember so what, you, what we invited you for, mm. an acoustic night. This is what we heard. This is what we want now. And then they did something else. So, well, yeah, interesting. Oh, it was cool. I think yeah. he did a good performance. It was just a bit, um, um, I don't know. It's, it's, I think that's just a common thing that people have when they show up. I mean, we do it as well. You show up for gigs and then you show like, look, I have this instrument now, which needs 16 microphones. And the, the sound engineer just... Oh. There was the other guy, which uh, um, when I asked him for a photo for the poster, because it was before internet, before Facebook, MySpace was mm. just starting, I think. So we, we all did the paperwork in, in real paper and put it up in the streets of Berlin and asked him for a photo so that people can see what to expect. And it was a, he, photo, he sent us a photo that, that you would give your grandmother. So, so very nice, very sweet, with a lovely smile. And I thought, well, um, really, you want this on a poster? So, oh, you photoshopped you, a microphone in? I photoshopped a microphone in so that it looks like he's just singing a sweet song. Because it was, I, I couldn't put it on the poster that I pay for. No one got paid for what we did. So um, he was angry with me about that. How dare you put a microphone in my lovely sweet photo that I gave to my nan? Yeah. She really likes it. I was going to give her the poster and she's deeply upset that you've used Photoshop. She wasn't even there for the night, so. Oh. <laughs> Shut up. Yeah, fuck him. Yeah. <laughs> the move from this residency that you had in the crypt of this church to touring how long did that process take and also more importantly what was the lineup that you were performing as uh, during this time was it just the two of you has yeah. it always been a duo yeah, yeah. The, the, the horns the drums the Indeed. children's choir right so you had 30 people max about yes, right yes and all the gear several <laughs> roadies mm. now it was just the two of us um, double bass acoustic guitar and banjo and uh, we switched, uh, each of us played banjo now and then, and I played mostly double bass. Just the two of us. Just the two of us. It, it developed um, in those uh, three years that we were with the theatre company, that we started to do the open stage, uh, the, and I think, I don't know, when did you start booking? 2004, I think I think it was, it was when the, when the, when the theatre 
closed that yeah they closed now around 2004. because we didn't have the engagement of playing in playing in uh, actual theater productions anymore and then i started dipping my toe into the the lovely field of booking yourself um gigs and i realized that i'm actually um, not that bad at it to book just small tours and stuff so we went on like two or three day tours just dipping our toes and realizing this is fun this is nice i think we can do this and then going on from there and and then it just grew it grew bigger and bigger until we basically we, we started making enough money to just pay our bills or oh, pay was, pay for a record and that just yeah. it just it just kind of went up to we have the time to play a hundred shows a year let's do it and that's just because i felt like okay how, how far can we take this thing how 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 long can we go because you can book shows if you're not if you're not fussy you can you can play all over europe and you can have small audiences and it grows and you can meet people and and things only happen if you go out it won't happen if you sit at home put your song on myspace and wait for somebody to like it you know that's that's not going to happen because you have to you have to go for the real connection to actually touch and move people that are out there and and create an evening with them so i sound like a bloody hippie um so you just we did that and i think what was it was very important for me to do it because i think my stage fright slowly declined after about 200 shows that i wasn't just so it took 200 gigs to yeah, get the fright out of your system to just kind of warm up and realized okay i did all mistakes i that you can do now i said i remember all each every one of these 200 shows yeah. <laughs> i don't because i was just paralyzed you know so you guys are weird you're performing regularly in a crypt in a facility that for the most part only existed for funerals that was fine yet performing in front of a bunch of people who are digging what you're doing the scariest thing on it the is, planet isn't it? <laughs> and if I'm, they don't want you it's easier to play for them you can mistreat them and then they suddenly like it or something but if if people are really there they, they just expect something you know this is true well, well we had we had our lessons well the first tour i think was only squatted houses and punk places uh around in germany because uh, we had the those contacts of the band i played in uh, for some years and uh, a friend of ours who who played a lot in those places that was the first tour so that helped and playing on stage with a theater company and going on tour with them that helped too to know how to go somewhere how to play um, um, how what works with the audience so that helped to to gain some confidence to sit to to start as you said mm. where else can we play if they like us uh, who else would like it and then we got wherever we played people told us oh love your music you should play there you should play there so we wrote down all those contacts and those places and went on just went on throw enough stuff against the wall and things will stick and networking is so important i mean in those days uh, myspace was such an invaluable resource we'll come on to how myspace shaped your life and your early tours in a moment but i've got a question for you you uh, booty hmm. your first instrument what is it my first instrument, uh, the first instrument I learned, the f my first instrument in a scale of... Uh, <laughs> oh, I suppose that, that is an ambiguous question. question. Uh, drums. <laughs> so, drums are your main instrument. Yes. And Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Double bass, how did that fit into your development as a musician? When did you first pick up that very portable of instruments? Not... Um, I put it, I picked up the double bass the moment that uh, I heard these great songs, which I asked Casey for. Uh, Who's that? I like that, and she said it's me. 
uh, her. Ah, so I these thought, were demo recordings that Casey had the done. The first recordings she did impressed me. So I thought, wow, uh, what do you want to do with it? I asked her, and uh, well, I don't know. So I thought, well, um, I've got this bass here. Um, I always wanted to play bass. I never did. Would you mind me joining you? And she said, yeah, okay, let's see if it works. And so that's how we started playing together. I had the equipment of a band I played in my teens. And I, when I moved to Berlin, I asked everyone, say, we have a banjo, we have four microphones, we have the PA, we have a double bass, we have several guitars. Does any of you want this? And the three others said, no, no, you can keep it, you can take it. So I took it all to Berlin. So that's why the bass was there, untouched. Serendipity, so, that's fantastic. So you yeah, inherited all this amazing yeah. gear. Yeah. And well, it wasn't amazing. Over the years, uh, I, I found out how to improve to play the space. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> it was quite a, quite a work in the first I mean, years. <laughs> the one thing about uh, the cheaper upright basses, often the, the action on them is not exactly the most playable and it is a very physical instrument. How quickly did you pick it up? He made little marks on the side. You know, do whatever you have to do. Yeah, yeah, with with um, with the, tape and and paper and the stuff. The third, fifth, and seventh fret I put down so I can yeah. find find that those. It's actually. I don't know. I just played, and then Casey said she likes it, and I thought I like it, and the audience clapped their hands. So I, <laughs> I, I thought, well, I can go on doing that. You liked it. Casey liked it. The audience, they were applauding. This is a, a good recipe. Yeah, so I, I kept doing it, and uh, now I say I, I I know how to handle the instrument, but I don't know. I can't really. I think we we were perfectly on the same uh, same level, level playing, yeah. probably because I was very very shy and singing very very softly, and playing very softly, and so Booty could just kind of hush along on the on the on the bass, and so it wasn't like one of us was so advanced that we would say what are you doing you should go no do that this one needs more energy can't you do good you know there was nothing of that we were just always both looking at each other like like that okay and maybe what helps is uh, when I hear a song I usually hear a bass melody in my head mm. so I searched for that melody on the bass and played it so I didn't really care about scales um, sorry to everyone who learned this um, uh, uh, studied bass but I just found this melody and then I played the melody I, I heard in my head so that it, it helped a lot I think that's a great started. foundation to be fair I think that to me makes a, a lot more musical sense than just looking at the world and how scales fit into it so you've got my seal of approval there anyway and uh, oh yes you can sleep soundly now my space in the middle part of the first decade of the new millennium was an amazing resource for booking tours. I know that I did it and you booked some amazing tours as well as meeting some interesting characters. I understand uh, there was a, a chap in the Netherlands who was initially quite a good host um, oh, so and then things became a little bit complicated could you tell me a little bit about that tour that you booked and yeah. this particular person because if any of you out there have done the same thing through the world of myspace or any network you often meet characters like this and you may be able to sympathize you no know, he was I, I i don't think it ever went bad really it was it, he was 
I we just it was you remember MySpace when it was like oh, like your music yeah I like yours too you write these little comments and then someone sends a message and then it's like hey you guys want to come over I was just like we're playing close to you this and that could you imagine to like have a maybe a gig or we can accompany you or something just begging for gigs and and he was like, yeah come over I help you and stuff I live in this commune and so and and he was he, he's a, his name is Yasha Yasha von von Roy if you want to check him out he does great songs and so he invited us and we went over and it was the first time in the Netherlands and he had actually they were living in this community thing and it, and they had hooked up a gig for us and we went uh, we met Rick van den Bosch who played with us that night who's a great blues singer shouter guitar player as well and we we shared that whole evening and it was just I mean. When we we drove there, we thought, Jesus, this could be anything, you know. Someone could just tie us up in their mm. in their cellar and. Yeah, I asked Casey in the car. I think it was in the car, just about packing. Where exactly are we going? I don't know. Who exactly is this guy we're staying at? I don't really know. I've met him on the internet. There's <laughs> one picture, mm, and uh, was it a sweet photo with a, a microphone photoshopped in <laughs> by any chance? <laughs> Now that you're saying, wow. <laughs> it all makes sense. So we were quite scared, and, and several other gigs. You, you didn't really know what would turn out to be, what people will you meet, and uh, I think what helped us is that we were went out on the road as two. Uh, we were not alone. Yeah, um, and it was just it was the songwriter community. I mean, how 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 crazy can someone be who plays guitar? Mm-hmm. But. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But um, yeah, we just we from then on we played like every year or so we played a, a show of a, a tour of fifteen shows or so in the Netherlands and it was great. It was a really great experience and we saw a lot of the Netherlands and a lot of coldness in the Netherlands. <laughs> like it was really cold one year. And it's I had flat and cold. That it's North Sea air cold. is it's, nasty. Yeah, and but they all like one gig we played. They all came because they have the canal system and almost every part of it. Mm. They all came on their ice skates to our show. They ice skated on the yeah, canal. Yeah, they, they ice skated on the canals to our show because what they do is they get out of the house and they get on ice skates to go to school or to go wherever they want to go because there's a canal to every house, to everything. So they just all came in with ice skates over their shoulders and I was like, what is going on? Are you all coming from a hockey game or something? <laughs> I'm like, no, we skated here because it's safer than walking actually in this weather. It would be. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, you know, totally. You so, have to be a good skater, though. That's that's for certain. That's the first I've heard about that. And I've had the joy of playing the Netherlands many times. I've see, been missing we play out. even more remote than you in Absolutely, the Netherlands. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm quite envious. And uh, talking of remote places that you've been to and uh, the Netherlands in general, I understand that around this time, for reasons that are a mystery to me, you'll need to fill me in. You urged audience members in your publicity materials to dress up as cowboys and that you indeed had people dancing, you know, doing line dancing at your shows. Now, obviously, and the stuff that I've heard and that we've been hearing in the background during this interview as Casey McKenzie isn't exactly country and Western music, is it? Thanks that you say that. <laughs> or have I misinterpreted it and that there is uh, a deep... There is, a, you, country there is a thread. love for bluegrass that that we share and but we can't play bluegrass but i think this love for bluegrass you might find might find in the uh, old mackenzie recordings and we found those that 
sort of country music that we liked. Um, may it be some Hank Williams, uh, some Dolly Parton, some a bit of this and that, and, and alternative country stuff like that. So we thought, put it on our, we put it on our flag. That's what we call our music. But we didn't know then that in Germany, country is only pure American country. I don't know the names, but you know, maybe you know what I mean. Mm. Those people which are around now. Um, Carrie Underwood, maybe people like, like that. The crossover types of performers. There is a very... There's not much crossover in Germany. Uh, the understanding of country music in Germany then, in those days, mm. was pure and only that. And they we had a banjo, so they thought must be country so oh. they thought let's go as cowboys let's have a country party let's uh, do line dance and we thought no it's just we just took a bit of our music and uh, tried to use the banjo in different ways adding the sound to what uh, the song might need and so there were many misunderstandings well, some misunderstandings between us and the audience and uh, This was this convention in Berlin where people and uh, friends of ours with the stage invited us. Let's you, you can play there, and suddenly the audience stood up, and uh, because it was the the timing they needed, the groove they needed to do line dance. Uh, I love that. I encourage them to do that. I can't uh, blame you. I'd uh, love uh, to have uh, seen that at a gig. I mean, if they're there, they're, they're, they come, weird. they dress up, they bloody dance for me you mm. know like i came here to play and if I know, going to i know they're capable to do that so i said um if you want to this one's a bit faster you can dance and then they stood up and danced and but oh, i, I remember did. friends of ours played as well and they have this kind of indie indie country alternative thing going on and they always played that convention as well when they were around they a big band you know so they, they went on stage and played and um the the square dance slash line dance people got really upset with them because they did a song that they know, but they didn't play the original version. They let out a verse or played it twice or something like oh, that. No. And that kind of um, just mixes up your whole routine because they're so in their routine, you know, what they have to do. So they got all stood there and and it, they got really upset because they wouldn't they you have to play if you play the convention you have to play the tune like it is for the square and the line dancers because otherwise they just fall out of their routine and they can't do it then you renegade yeah <laughs> so my word how dare you so it's i thin. might have to end this interview early now that i hear that you've it's, done that it's thin ice you know it's you and that's just what the fans were skating on to get to the gig exactly bada boom yes i'll be here all week <laughs> And that was the gig, actually, where they wrote out outside on the, on the door. They had, if you come dressed up as a cowboy or Indian, um, you get in free. And I, I tipped on that. I, I, I noticed it and I said to Booty, should we be worried? <laughs> That's, it's a weird. And then they showed up and some of them dressed up. And there was this cowboy standing in front of me. And he was he had guns with, you know, fake, um, what's it called, with... Um, with these crackers inside these firecrackers and stuff. Right. And, and they just went off through like the saddest ballad on earth you play and he just stood there pow, 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 right in front of me smoke coming out. It's like, okay, this turned a bit into a carnival moment now. And then they said, please keep it down, please keep it down. Not to the audience, it was louder than us um, because the neighbors and they will just call the police and stuff. And then they played the same record over and over again, which was uh, uh, friends of ours who had a country band, just a fun country band or something. They played, they only had this one single and they played it over and over again until six in the morning on the, on the loudest possible level. And we thought, how does this, I mean, we could have played louder then. Mm. And um, it ended up in that, 
they said, okay, we can't pay you, but we bought too much Jack Daniels whiskey, so we just give you a box of whiskey then, if that's all right. Or, right. So, yeah, okay, that that's sounds fine. That's fine. That's a fair payment, <laughs> it's really. It's a fair payment, yeah. And um, I think at some point while we were playing, a girl ran in and said, everybody show up outside, Nazis! <laughs> <laughs> Which is, it, I know it sounds like it's common in Germany, but it isn't. And and we just stopped. And I think Buddy said, "Do I need my passport?" <laughs> <laughs> so we went outside. Or Buddy went outside, and he said, "You stay with the instruments." Yeah, so if Nazis come in there, because it was. I, I remember in, in the nineties in East Germany, like there was these. It's kind of game people played on the weekend. Like the Nazis showed up and beat up the lefties, and the lefties go outside and beat up the Nazis. You know, and that was just kind of as you do something for the just, weekend. You know, yeah. what, they're, they're rehearsing again. I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> these days. And so, so we went outside, or Booty went outside, and he came back in, rolling his eyes, saying, "There's like two people in in." with short hair and umbro sweaters walking down the street not doing anything just coming home from a party and they were just 50 and to 20. two girls were standing outside having smoking a fact just thinking oh look they look like nazis oh, they're hooligans oh if we get the boys we can just like make a big fuss and then of course they were yelling something and they're throwing something at them they turned around like what what you want you know and then it was just this whole and then they started yelling all kind of political things at them and i thought these are just two lads coming home from i mean maybe you know them but <laughs> you know what about our show can we continue to, and now? then and eventually they left and then everybody came back to sometimes inside. nazis have places to go it's understandable yeah, even yeah. they have things to do you know and so <laughs> everybody came back inside and okay we can go on now so, oh, oh. so you had a gig that was interrupted by nazis who may or may not actually have been nazis yeah. or maybe nazis on the night off Yeah, yeah. Pro pro they were probably not on duty, you know. They Indeed, were yes. They were probably just passing by, like, sorry, not on duty. Not on know? duty. Maybe tomorrow yeah. the pillaging will begin. <laughs> <laughs> During the time that you both operated under the name Casey McKenzie, you were doing beautiful folk-infused music with lush acoustic guitar parts and you obviously haven't listened to it yet <laughs> i've listened to the the links and that wasn't us oh, oh fair <laughs> enough well done <laughs> and your hypnotic bass part and you not said your earlier, voice it's my bass not your voice you know <laughs> now you'd said earlier that in the early days of your time as Casey uh, McKenzie that you were singing quite softly. Now, that doesn't come across in these recordings and most definitely does not come across in Leisure Tank. Good. When did you <laughs> find that big voice? And it, it really is a, a voice with authority and grit and sounds like it's coming from somebody who's would look a hell of a lot more haggard than you do and it's a very mature <laughs> voice I, I imagine kind of somebody that if you will spent haggard. their entire life being paid with Jack Daniels or whatever whiskies are available and there are other whiskies available I for one quite enjoy Ben Rick that's quite well, a, a, a difference from somebody that might be nervous and who's just able to get through the opening number to I am Casey hear me roar you see what what the stage uh, the stage changes people into absolutely they're on stage um I think it's uh, uh it's just the experience you know when you do it a lot when you do it a hundred times a year when you go on stage a hundred times a year when you play under all circumstances no monitors no 
no PA, no nothing, no, and you just have to kind of go through it. It's it's it, it teaches you a lot about your voice and in terms of how to use it, how to hear yourself if you can't hear yourself, how to, um, and. What I was always interested in, what I was too shy to do, is like, how can you form your voice without having... Because I don't really have a naturally um, strong, loud voice. I wasn't born with, you know, I talk shyly. I um, I don't have a... Some people just have this kind of bass in their voice or something like that. What? And, and what? What? Bass! How low can you go? And... I don't really have that, and I don't have a big range as well. But but I think what you can do is is that you can learn to act w- with your voice, to make it do what you feel it should do. And um, after we we stopped playing with Casey McKenzie that much, I had time to sit down and play and play play electric guitar, which I haven't dared to do before because I thought it's just that big field of still as far as i was aware of a male dominant um field of electric guitar and if you pick up an electric guitar you better be able to play a solo because that's the first thing someone will want from you and and then i just i just felt so intimidated by it that but then when i just had the time to do it by myself and figure out and and look at female female that guitar players that influenced me and 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 how how do they do it that i'm I discovered it at the same time that I can do more with my voice than just making it sound soft and pretty. So I can play songs that I want to express something else, something different with it. And um, it, it's quite a learning curve and it's still going on. But um, it's it's a... Someone once told me how to scream into a microphone without actually screaming because he said what you do is you do the sound of screaming, but you don't actually scream because if you do that, you do Billy Idol and that means you ruin your voice within mm. within five years or so because he actually screams all the time or yells all the time, but that just ruins your voice. A rebel yell, in fact. A rebel yell, in, in fact, yeah. But he's doing the real thing, which every actor would tell you is, is, is poison to your voice if you do that all the time, this growling and stuff. What you do is you... you um, you learn to act it with your voice. And um, so I, I took all these little informations, I took them in and, and tried to make them into songs and, and tried to work on that. And um, it's it's um, something I wanted to do s- since we started with Casey McKenzie, but I w- just wasn't able to. I just wasn't, didn't do, because it needs exercising, you know. It's just like any other instrument or any other thing, you need to exercise it. And... Now I can still say I, I I can still hear it's it's not yet where I would like it to be. Like I wish it would be um, more confident or stronger or louder or something like that. But um, I don't hear that. I don't hear that at all. I disagree with you. Yeah, you guys are so vehemently. nice. <laughs> I think it's good to want to strive towards something to keep developing and to broaden your palette of styles. I think you more than achieved oh, what thanks. you wanted to do. I might have been do. fishing for that compliment a little bit there with a huge net that I threw out <laughs> all over the ocean.
I think what helps as well is write a song that you can't sing and then learn it. That, that because I, I always did that. I always wrote songs that, that I was basically not able to do. I wasn't able to sing falsetto or something like that, but I, it had to be in that song. And then I had to rehearse it until it, it worked. And I think that's, that's kind of keeps you, like if you write a guitar part or a bass part that you can't actually play, but you want it in there, so you just sit down and just damn rehearse it until it kind of works. And it forces you to adopt and adapt, and that can only be a good thing. In terms of your touring days as Casey McKenzie, when did you have label involvement and how active were they in terms of helping you to book tours? Or was it always a DIY thing where... Mm-hmm. The, the label would distribute the music and you would deal with everything else, which for the most part seems to be the normal way that deals work these days. Mm. We did have a, a label with the, the Hammer and Nails, which is like a third record, I believe. Yeah, it was the third. And we, we, the, rec- the recording was finished and we got a label interested. And, and we already had a tour booked. We I already think. had a little tour booked and he was like, this is so interesting, I want this to be on my and which was great because he had distribution and everything and he was just able to like click a few buttons and then people would write about us or something like that and we got a video produced and stuff so it was great um and and but then we produced the dryland record which is the last casey mckenzie record we did and it was um kind of falling apart because he said he wants to do the 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 label we were on said he wanted to do the booking as well but he failed to do it as maniac as we did because we just we just booked and booked to get the shows because it was our income as well to play and he was just like to get his percentage he had to get good shows and stuff and only certain i don't think he ever saw the music where we saw it and that is a big big issue that you have to work with someone who sees where your music's coming from and what your music actually is because if they put you in the wrong box in their minds they will always speak from that box about you Mm. and that will then eventually never really fit so as much as we liked the the label and the work they did for us I just decided when we did then the next record I said we can't stay here anymore because we feel like it's a bit of a dead end for us even though you can't see it but for us it's it's I even feel when I write I feel like I should write to fit in that box to fulfill the the contract but I don't want to do that I just want to do what the people and we see in it when we play and so we just sadly had to say okay this is it we're not going to bring out this record here and then I moved to London and everything just went berserk anyway and and then it was just the right time to say goodbye to Casey McKenzie and start Leisure Tank and start a new thing and just because I just felt, okay, you said no to staying in that box, so you better go the full way to this new development and just commit yourself to it and see what it, what you can do with it. And I think it was the right choice. Things certainly came full circle for yourself as a band. In the early days, you indicated that some people had issues with how they would be able to put Casey McKenzie in a pigeonhole, in a box, mm-hmm. and... To then go through, you know, X number of tours around Europe and to be playing for a living, you know, is is an incredible thing. And then to have a, a supportive label is the stuff dreams are made of. Yeah. Yet that label, in their own way, ended up restricting you into a box that they felt that you were 
supposed to be a permanent resident yeah. of. Mm. And presumably during this stage, you were hearing more of a, a rock influence, judging from Leisure Tank mm. and how that sound is. When your last release, Dryland, came out as KC McKenzie, was that a very conscious thing that you'd, you'd put this out? And in a way, was that a, almost a deliberate swan song to that particular sensibility that you had as musicians or did the lack of the label's support did that inspire you even to possibly get slightly angry and to want to dig out the Les Paul and choose the the gritty sound I was just I think it has many facts that but when I go and I think you can't I have to completely stay away from business decisions when I go into a room to write because if you do that, you just write rubbish. I just do. Because when you, when you think of business while you're creative, it, it, as, an, as an artist, it just makes you... I mean, there are people really good at it. They go like, I'm going to write a hit, you know? And then they sit down and they actually do. And it's like, wow, you wrote a hit, but you're not embarrassing yourself. It's still cool, you mm-hmm. know? But um, I, I just have to... So I had to leave the label and all what happened out of it. I just realized that I was very tired of acoustic guitars... Because it was, I've I've spent ten years hearing, shing 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 shing. Well, this is not how the music sounds. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not exactly how we sound. That's a very accurate impression. But I disagree, Booty. That is the sound. Come oh, on. Okay. Right. Okay. It's, it's this whole. It's this whole. No, it doesn't. You know, and and then there was this big folk thing going on with what it was a Mumford and Sons just taking off and. Or I still or call it skiffle. To me, Mumford skiffle. and Sons is pure skiffle, which is good. <laughs> Okay, Booty calls it a skiffle. Um, There's definitely a skiffle influence in it, absolutely. Everything here is influenced by skiffle. This is true, all classic rock. See, Iron Maiden, as I said. All dance music. You can definitely hear an Iron Maiden. (laughs) (laughs) Skiffle everywhere. Well, they have a washboard on every recording. It's just uh, woven in. Yeah, just a really large washboard. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I I think that's called distortion. (laughs) Oh, oh, that's why. Booty, how did you feel about this sudden change? Were you loving? In this direction. <laughs> he wasn't involved. He was in Berlin, just biding his time. No, um, I, I'd like to go back one step. Uh, that's the way I understood your question. Is uh, the Dryland recording was good, and the label did good work for us for a year, and so we slowly starting uh, started. Um, Casey slowly started writing next songs for the next album following Dryland, but then we realized after a year of uh, quite, I'd say, some kind of success with it. Um, we we realized that he doesn't do the work we wanted him, we asked him to do, we agreed on with him to do, mm. to, to book us good tours and shows. Um, so the whole thing died out while we um, were working on the next songs, the next record to be released. And um, this was the process that Casey, the, ne- the, the unreleased record, I call it, um, had much more aggressiveness and noise in it and uh, much more rock and roll um, to get rid of the uh, folky Mackenzie we had before. What would have been the follow-up to Dryland? Yeah, would have been the follow-up, yes. And some songs survived into the leisure tank time and some didn't, so there was quite a natural um, evolution uh, from my point of view to, to leisure tank, but still... Uh, now I lost what I was uh, aiming for. Um, what I was you wanted thinking. to tell the world how great I am? Absolutely, yeah, you were... Would subconsciously, you, you were thinking about that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 
your Call view at the time it, it sounds as though Booty your view at the time was very much um, cohesive with Casey's where you'd reached a stage of frustration with the label and a desire to want to change the sound and you two were embracing the idea to be slightly harder with the sound but also for for yourself this would involve a change of instrument and which Casey, I didn't know then <laughs> right how did that come about now Casey at one stage the acoustic was put down and some electric was picked up how was it decided that booty you will go from upright bass to drums. He didn't How? decide anything. I just no. told him what to do. Oh, you told always. him right. It, it was decided <laughs> boss. You know, know, you have to force mm. people into their luck sometimes, into yeah. their happiness, mm. and um, th- that's just what I had to do again yet for Booty, and um, uh, just it's just how it goes, you know. <laughs> Yeah, that was it. Was Casey told me I have new songs? Great, send them over. Yeah, great. Um, and I was thinking of how, how could I fit in the double bass, or should I switch to electric bass? And then Casey said, No, 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 no. no. I want you to play drums now. Well, um, uh, you sure? It took some weeks or months even to convince yeah, me I of already that. started performing to put the pressure on a bit. I was here in <laughs> London and I started performing with a loop station and just making like drum sounds in the back and stuff just to see and get the feel, the live feel for it and stuff. And I think it helped to get Woody like, all right, she's doing it with or without me, so I'd rather not should take so long for this decision. <laughs> and... Um, so I sent him the songs and, and he thought about it and then we met and recorded and just the whole usual thing. And um, it was just a, a quite clear thing. And I think now I see that back then when we recorded the unreleased, uh, the secret album, um, I, I was probably already working on that. But yeah, I, yeah, that's I why so. it didn't really go anywhere with the recording of these other things because it was like, oh, it's missing a bit of oomph and I don't know how to, oh, how can we do that? But mm. it, it, the most obvious thing would just change the instruments, just didn't pop into my mind, just just do something else, just get out of there and go back into your little cell and start again, you know, just throw it all out and start again. And by coming to London, I had the, I had the time and the space to do that but because you, you didn't have this... Um, I didn't have this uh, uh, um, Casey McKenzie thing on my back, which says there's an album that has to be released. There's a tour coming up. There's this, and you have to, you have to be working with the label, and you have to all these, you know, to stick with your thing. It just was all off my back. I was basically just floating in midair, which was scary. But at the same time, because I've lost something that people were looking up at me saying, "Wow, you guys achieved this by hard work," you know, and now you're just dropping it. Are you mm. an idiot? And so it could have been like the worst decision to make. But um, it turned out for us, it was a really, really good decision because we we just could develop into a thing that I feel is, is just so um, like uh, paying back so much. The surprising thing about it was that uh, there was about a year or so that we did both. We played forty-five minutes Mackenzie stuff and forty-five minutes Leisure Tank. Yeah, for the lack of material. For <laughs> for, for, for yeah, for some some German uh, Germany shows, and um, the audiences still were those who knew us from Mackenzie Times, and they. They said, um, without being asked um, or forced to say so, um, they like both. They're yeah, not all of them. Some of them were like, all right, I just stick with those records then. And others were like, uh, yeah, 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 why works. not? Yeah, and, why not? And, and some people were us. just completely new and were like, this is great. Oh, I didn't know you play acoustic as well. And so, yeah. but we kind of like babied them over a little bit. Um, but I don't think, you know, for me, there was, for most people I know, there's not really a difference between these musics. Like, I was always, always listening to, to rock music. And, and I think it's just another German thing to say, 
folk music with an electric guitar and you think where were you when Dylan did that you know Judas yeah, exactly yeah. like but they they would still do that in the in the 2000 they would write about us like because we had an electric guitar in on one of our albums yeah, he, he was writing that. like an electric guitar and folk music well I don't know about that oh dear so it was just and 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 I just I just always thought like what <laughs> this is t this is 2004. What are we talking about? Very hmm? conservative, very close-minded, but a lot of die-hard fans to certain genres are that way. Yeah, it's a yeah. sad state of affairs. Yeah. When did the actual rebranding take place? Uh, obviously, you were attempting different sounds. Was there a part of you that thought about possibly continuing under the name Casey McKenzie with the new? instrumentation or did no. you know straight away new band name new band full stop new direction yeah. end of i wanted to take out the songwriter one person thing as well because we are a band and i wanted to give it a name that is strong and that has um the ability to just see this is two people and not just one person because casey mckenzie is all about that girl writing her songs and i still write all the songs but um and i'm still 65% of the band, no. <laughs> Booty's shrinking next to me. Um, um, so, and, and I don't know, I, I got tired of people asking, what's the name? What does Casey McKenzie stand for? Exactly what you did, you mm. know, in that voice. You remember? Mm, you I remember earlier? the voice. <laughs> Excuse me, but how did you come about that name? I, I understand McKenzie. Well, I know MAC is still Austrian, but uh, you're German. So how does that come about? Now, the one question which I won't ask because it, it's such an obvious one, but I'll allow you to tell me, is oh, how did the name Leisure Tank come about? It's what very does easy it to answer. Right. It's I'm not going to ask the question, but I'll allow you to furnish <laughs> me with these details. Yeah, it's, I'm a huge fan of Tank Girl. The, the, uh, everyone in England knows, but not so many people in, 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 in Germany know. Um, I'm a huge fan of Tank Girl, and it was always about tanks. Like, And I, I, I love tanks. Like, once we drove by a... Not only because of Tank Girl, I love tanks. I don't like war or anything like that. I wish they would just... Oh, there were just balloons coming out of them, you know. But we once played in Dorset, and there's the Tank Museum. And I was, I got all my my heart started beating. And I was like, "Buddy, there's the Tank Museum. Let's go." So we went in there. We didn't go inside because it was full of military nuts. It was just. It was just people like to believe in war, you mm. know. They don't believe in anything they love else. That stuff. And yeah. so we did a bloody good war. It, we didn't go in because it, we just went, kind of walked around because they have tanks outside. You no, know, maybe stuff. the tank is our 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 new folk. Yeah, tanks the new black. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so we we just went there and I and I saw these beautiful tanks. And I, it's not so much about the tank. I realized later in a museum in Canada where I saw vehicles made to go through snow that it's about chains around wheels that I like like they call it caterpillars in German but here it's just digger I think yes um, they have these chains around the wheels which tanks have as well and um, I like all vehicles who have that and I don't know why but I'm magically drawn to them I like the sound and I like how they move and it makes me feel like I want one I want to live in one of those and right and just drive around and as slow as possible because they're not very fast. They can go very fast. One drove by and I just held Buddy's hand. I was like, oh my God, there's a tank coming. <laughs> and it's just so silly because I'm not a very passionate person. But for, for, for tanks, I start crying. Um, and so it was, so, so it, it had to be something with tank. And 
and then it was at a time where I read a lot about it was Hermann Hesse and all that stuff, you know, and it was about leisure and why are people here and what, what are we doing and what is leisure because you're always busy, you're always, always busy these days. And even if you're enjoying yourself, even if you're relaxing, you have to be busy, you know, because you have to do it right. You have to improve yourself. Ten ways to look out of a window. You can read that on the internet and stuff like that. You know, mm. five ways to hold your chopstick when you actually just just leisurely drumming on a on a table you know like we all feel even that on our when we just being we have to do it right Ten do rules, it how to right relax. do you it know? right yeah, exactly like you're listening to a to a to a stream trickling by but do it right because if you Absolutely. don't do it right you won't feel good shouldn't you do meditation And, or yoga shouldn't you yeah it's just all this stuff you know you it, will relax so there is this leisure stress Now. on us this 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 hobby stress you know when i i was just a lot thinking about it. like what does it mean where does it go to what do we grow what do our kids grow up into and and And, and and what's what what did what's the last thing you actually really enjoyed without having something bringing something from it that you can show other people because it's all about showing other people with the selfie or with with the um with the um, um the proof of what you did you know mm. look I really enjoyed my get really messed up at this festival and I have proof of it you know I put a lot of effort into this and so, so this was on my mind and then I just com combined these words leisure tank and I said to Budi is that totally silly and he said no it's, it's I absolutely good. agree with that that, that is uh, a kind of force the tank in my in my understanding a kind of force that um, you need or that brings you to um, relax to regain strength by yourself on your own to reflect did I say that To, to calm down and find yourself without any pressure from the outside or any gains or aims to achieve. Just to, to find yourself. And uh, so, yeah, as you said... And also the double meaning of the word, I guess, because tank is a tank and a fish tank and all that stuff. So it's... Uh, it's a, uh, oh, there's it's another a, meaning to it? Yeah. Mm. Oh. It sounds better than Siddhartha Caterpillar. <laughs> that was actually, you know, that was the first. Oh, really? Was that, was that the first choice? Yeah. You decided it might be too many, yeah. too many syllables. Yeah, it's the interesting thing. Steppenwolf in a in a fish tank. Yeah. That was the first idea. We had a list of names to choose for this band, but it was only three names, so it was. I wouldn't even call it a list. So there was not much choice. It was leisure tank pretty soon, pretty quick. I actually don't really know if it's maybe it's an utterly stupid name because you know when you are uh, when it's your mother tongue. You can tell right away this has a weird sound to it or something. Mm. But if it's not your mother tongue, you might just not. You might oversee something very obvious, like something very stupid. So you tell me if it is. I like the name. Are you aware that when it's pronounced leisure tank, it's actually Austrian? <laughs> yes, we've heard that. <laughs> <laughs> um, the one thing about. When you when you hear Leisure Tank for the first time, is the the guitar parts that you're choosing and those riffs are coming from a really really rhythmically interesting place where you're doing the the pull offs and how you utilize the the loop station, which loads and loads of people do. And to be fair, I'm I'm a bit loop stationed out. I really like the way that you do it. It's very, very musical, and it's woven in such a way that you don't notice it. 
Whereas, bless, even when I see Ed Sheeran doing it, it's very much, here I am, I've got this device, look at me, aren't I clever? And for yourself, <laughs> it's very much there to allow you to fill the space that the, the bass might be doing, or to add a bit of a percussive element. And in any situation whereby you're performing as a duo and there's just guitar and drums to play with, the the rhythmic sensibility that the guitar has to do is very, very, very different than if you're just a, a guitar player in a band with a bass player. Mm. And it seems very, very natural. How did you find the transition from how you were playing as a guitarist with the previous incarnation, Casey McKenzie? How did that transformation feel? You know, going from one very different style to something where a great deal of responsibility rhythmically and in terms of feel was on your shoulders it is actually the loop station i think which helped because i used it for writing only i didn't think of ever putting it on stage because like you i felt like yeah 2011 here we go loop station you know something mm. like that and and um I, I i think if you don't notice that, that you just made the biggest compliment to a loop station user you can do it's like i don't notice when you use it mm. because that's what they should do they should stay in the back and not just get on your nerves like, look, I play this, and now everybody listen to this while I point at the loop station that you can all see that I did this. Um, um, it it is an instrument. The loop station is an instrument. It's it's a, it, and you have to, I think, kind of find out. Do I actually want loop station on this this song? Do I need this on this song? Because we don't use it very often. And what I did was I get, I I used it as a rit- rhythm machine to kind of set a pace for a song because I very often start with pace in a song because that gives the urgency. And so I just and the only instrument I can play to set a rhythm with is guitar. So I just I just played things that Booty now plays um, and put them in the loop and just to see what can I build on top of it, what can I build on top, how can I just let this go. And um, so I, I just... And, and that gives you the freedom. If you have a device like a loop station or just a little recording device, it gives you the freedom to just doodle on top of it or sing or scream or just play something else and to find something that fits on top of it without being a complicated uh, recording process. So I think loop stations are fantastic for writing. You have to find the decency later to take the very obvious thing out again and say it doesn't need it. It was good for using it for right, mm. but it doesn't need it here because my drummer can do this. Or so because as well, you, the responsibility to use a loop station on stage with a drummer is is, is a big one because um, you can fuck up majorly, and everybody will know right away. Because if you run quicker than the loop station or slower, everybody disaster. Will it's a disaster mm. that you don't want to happen, and so you have to be able to switch it off. And it will. There are times when it just doesn't bloody work, and you have to be able to then still play the song. Mm. And and so um, I feel you have to kind of carefully enjoy loop stations, um, unless you're an act who just bases their whole being around it. That's just all right. I mean, there are many, many who do. It's really interesting you use the word instrument, and I think that accurate in terms of how you employ it for many 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 other artists and some of who used it in the early days when it was first kind of available when i think of early katie tunstall for instance that was used effectively and it was very much oh look at this she's doing stuff with her feet oh goodness one person producing all that sound but in her case it it shows what a great musician she is absolutely i Mm. am a am a fan and very much that was 
you know, talking about 2006, 2007, yeah. 2008. And, you know, it was a comparatively new thing. Yeah. And she'd been doing the circuit on her own. Yeah. Sadly, there are also people who are not as gifted as she is and you see a lot of bad loop station yeah, but you see a lot of guitar, bad guitar playing oh as well. absolutely <laughs> so, absolutely bad everything yeah. um you use it in, in a way that it feels very much as an instrument rather than here's this amazing special effect look at the wonders of modern technology because that had already worn off when i started playing loop station you know that was already like oh god are you really like when i came on the open stages you're like ah, i shall have my loop station people were rolling their eyes you know? oh, fuck. Yeah, oh god what's she gonna do chicka chicka and have and then let that run through all the song of oh, things very much for that you know so <laughs> I, I i had to be like it's like coming it's like showing up with an with the uh with the saxophone in the 90s you know like true <laughs> indeed the devil's instrument <laughs> i love the saxophone but i know what you mean you do use the loop station on roses do you not i do use it on red roses yeah um, and yeah, because but- i just bloody couldn't play the lick and sing at the same time so Shit, don't say that <laughs> But that's an example of how it's used for, you know, good effect. It's bringing in layers. Yeah. 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 That's the scary part about loop stations as well. It's like when you go, when you stand in front of the class and you say something and it's so stupid, it repeats in your head over and over again. Mm. Where does he keep the money, say you? Better hurry up. Quick, 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 quick. Red. And everybody looks at you like, what is, what's with her, you know? And you stand there, oh God. And that's what loop stations do as well. You play something or sing something into it, and it's like a nightmare. It just doesn't stop. It repeats and repeats and repeats, you know? Like, mm. and, and sometimes at gigs that happens that you go, okay, I think I have the lick now, click, click. <laughs> what is that? No! And it doesn't stop, you know? So, yeah, but... You have to have fast feet. But with Red Roses needed layers because it has the lick and then it needed something to just go on top of that because it's kind of a bit of a disturbing story. I wish I story. had a loop station. I could stop shaking the maracas all no, the time. No, we need to keep you busy because otherwise you stop doing weird things. You start doing weird things on stage. Oh, oh that's, that's why. why. It's That's a kind of rule in the band. Keep booty as busy as possible. Um, it tends to be good with most drummers, to be fair. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm talking no, about. Oh, I, yeah, yeah. I know. I <laughs> know. Did you find that booty behaved differently when he was a drummer? That suddenly you had drummer problems? Yeah, he's so bloody loud. I mean, <laughs> it's... He's like when you when you rehearse, he's all like, oh yeah, cool, and then and then on stage he turns into this animal thing, which everybody says about drummers. But um, I didn't know that because he is so good at acoustic music and he's so good at like joining in little acoustic act, and even when he plays drums there and stuff. But then there's this this force that comes out on stage, which and then I look at him after the song and he's like, was I too loud? Because he just lets go. Um, I, I enjoy playing our music. I'm sorry to say, but yeah, I like. I, how this. dare you? No, that's not that type of behavior. is not tolerated that? in no. the studio. It, it's really. I'm, I'm sorry for some some how it happens because I don't know. I played in this punk band and I play the traditional grip uh, on my left hand, and um, the, the, those two electric guitars with Marshall amps and the bass and, and houses, squatted houses, and uh, everyone as loud as possible, always something in your ears, and still they said, "Oh, booty, you're so loud." 
And I thought, how can this happen? I started playing washboard and, and brushes when I was younger. I, I don't believe it, but um, there must be something about it. He's not too loud. Like He's not the obnoxious loud drummer that you think, look at the room you're in, you know? Just, <clears throat> just don't come with... 12 or sticks or something just just slow down buddy no it's not like that it's, i think it's just he's he gets carried away um when he plays um it's at the beginning i thought hmm, will this work will this work because we you just I mean, we never did it before and it's a bloody loud instrument to be i'm i'm the only thing opposing a whole drum kit in with my voice and with my guitar so there is no bass player there's no other keyboard player whatever mm. so and it's very common now to have uh, duos and stuff but um as a personal experience it was a bit more like am i able to keep up with that because it it sucks when you have a mediocre guitar player but a great drummer <laughs> and the songs are like so la la you know because you want to you want this to be a force you want this you want both of them to be equal on stage and just go together Woof, here we are and so unless you make it a cult that one of them is just absolutely not knowing what they're doing or something like that. Are you um, talking about a certain band there? Am I? <laughs> I'm not aware. Um, we're, but, not, we're not on about the bloody white stripes now. <laughs> I didn't I want didn't to say know. anything. Meg <laughs> comes neither. in for a lot of stick. <laughs> but uh, you know what I mean. It's just, um, um, and Bodhi, you can't, you can't, it's like he, he's, he's very melodic as a drummer. So he will play fills and this and that. And he won't just play straight, you know. And he will hum something when, you're, he when he's playing. He half of the, 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 the drums <laughs> in, 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 London. in London pubs already. Because mm. whenever he shows up for a gig, the first thing he says is tuning the drums which is so annoying but afterwards every band sounds great and it just he makes the, the, the because he feels it, it is an instrument it's not just a pot where you where you just throw your sticks on you know it, it should be in tune and this is very important if you play just the two of you on stage absolutely yeah. the drums are carrying a, a lot of weight i think one of the first things i ever heard uh, Booty say, and I, I had the pleasure of doing a, a session with him, and I met him in a rehearsal studio. Was oh my god, you saw this uh, rehearsal studio drum kit <laughs> in which I think every tom had been tuned to the same to the bam, same bam, level. Bam. Yeah, oh, there was three. <laughs> it was all very very flappy, yeah. and then and then you, you meticulously got that. Very, very dodgy kit to sound beautiful. And Thank uh, you. that's a, a sign of somebody who cares. Also, to be fair, you don't want every bloody Tom to sound the same. Let's, no, let's then you just put, get one Tom, you know. Let's put yeah. it this way. You don't have I, to bring the whole kit then. Indeed. <laughs> I, I, I prefer playing in a band where the guitar player knows how to tune his guitar. So uh, that's the same level I put about drums. Mm. If, if you're playing on untuned drums, how well will it sound? Sounding pretty good. That last, that last. Can we, uh, can we do the sound check on that fart, please? Yeah, yeah, yeah. More, fa more <laughs> fart pillow and a monitor, please. <laughs> oh, nice. Best I've ever heard. The, the the bottom line is the your guitar playing, Casey, is is as distinctive as as your vocals are. Thank you, know, you very it, much. And the band sounds very 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 unique. And obviously, from an instrumentation point of view, one could easily cite the AAAS or you know White Stripes and you know many other groups that kind of operate in that context. But they're not employing the really angular guitar accents that you're doing which i i think's absolute beauty I, I really really like it and it makes what you guys do really really stand out 
Who the fuck needs a bass player when you have all that going on? Oh, wait, see, we never started from that standpoint. I, I'm, I'm always open to, like, bass players. And I, I actually thought of organ or something like that, you know, because I, I, I love that very much, though it can be very annoying after a while, like having a violin player. You're good on that one song, but the rest is... Um, <laughs> Any chance of you uh, taking a <clears throat> break? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, I think the car needs to be parked. Yeah. Um, mustard. Have a look? It's a mustard instrument. A little bit goes a really long way. You don't want an entire meal with mustard. No, I just mean you have to be careful what you pick into your band because you you think I need this on one song and then you end up with you know the string chord on every song um, because you just have to employ them somehow. But um, I never thought of it. Let's do a do that's really cool because people do this nowadays. I just felt like I don't know anybody except Booty, and I don't know people who would actually have the time or who I would like to be in the band um, that have this, you know, um, drive that I feel should the music have or something. Um, th- so it's just that at the moment we play as a duo because, and and we try our best to fill the gaps, and which makes it interesting as well because I can see when you play live and that's where good music always comes from when someone plays live and you make them turn heads in terms of that they see is, is it just two people doing that? Is it just one person? This is mm. amazing and not just because he's loud it's because the song is good it's because um, the feelings are kind of good it's because they're, they're doing something that I've that just touches me I don't know why but there's this drive behind it and I think um with, uh, I would love to have a bass player at one point or someone who does something else because then I could write differently and explore that space even more. Like, what could we do without just going to the usual, yeah, I play, you know, I play the rhythm guitar, you play the bass, and then, you know, mm. we just go from here and then we play the verse three times. Um, but just to have different uh, um, points to set or uh, accentuate it in, in, a, in a different way. But um, I think... Once a, once a minimalist, mm-hmm. you always are in a way a minimalist. So and and since we started out like that, just it was just me and guitar and a banjo, and then booty came. In. So it was um, it w- we'll probably always go back to that that I, you you try to make the audience hear things that you don't actually play. Yeah, I just wanted to say that mm. yeah. because you you can play the obvious, and that happens a lot when you work with producers. That you go into a, a studio and they go like, "Doesn't it just sound like there could be a bit more reverb on it, or there could be an echo, or there could be a, an extra guitar doing this?" And you think, "But that's what you hear already. Don't you want to do something that you can't hear already?" Because what you do is you just feed the same cake to the same audience you know yeah if you that's that's what uh, our experience was uh, in the preceding band um if you we were we wanted to have a drummer or a solo guitar player and um but then playing the ba- well the way we did acoustic guitar and bass there was who's breathing <laughs> oh, darth vader's in the house he, he says hello <laughs> oh, look, you must trust the minimalist force. <laughs> yes, the minimalist will be with you. And uh, so um, there was rhythm on the acoustic guitar. May the sparse be with you. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Please continue. Fine. <laughs> so, I am your basic. <laughs> if, if you already hear it, we, there's no need to play it. So and that's what we continue with this band. If you already hear a certain line accompanying the guitar and drums, why use a bass player playing that line? Absolutely. And if you hear second vocals, 
why try and getting someone to do those mm. if, and uh, so as long as that works we're not worried uh, the, um, and there are moments in that's between that's why we release Silent as the next record mm. <laughs> it's just things we hear in our heads oh, man. That, that B-side wow <laughs> that's so quiet <laughs> that little bit of, of hiss at the tail end clever <laughs> ultimately the way that people hear things and the way that human ears and music fans fill in spaces is really underestimated. If you were to look at the vocals of Lou Reed or Bob Dylan, the, the bottom line is so much is implied that the parts need not be sung or sustained. Mm. People will, will add those bits. Yeah. And it's the, the material isn't lacking because that obvious... You know, I'm a belting lead singer delivery isn't there. And I think the same thing happens with dynamics. The song is king and queen. And if it's performed in a way with con in which there's conviction and in which space is being employed in an interesting way, it's a winning formula. But you guys are brilliant and you make a big fucking noise for two people. <laughs> I want Thank to you know, very much. I want to know about why in your early days that you were apprehensive about playing in front of British audiences. I'm aware that we are called island monkeys amongst um, the Teutonic population. Never heard that. Oh, really? Say, never heard that. My, I know? was told it was a common thing when I was on tour there. Maybe. Island monkeys. <laughs> island no. monkeys. No. Right. Okay, it's fair enough. Maybe I was misled. That's not the point, though. But you did state in some of our correspondence before we did this interview that you're a bit nervous about uh, playing these shores. What, what you're what you're saying is, uh, um, when we did with the Dryland record as Mackenzie's, um, we we did our first England tour. Um, we were really afraid to go to come here because uh, all the music we love is from England. Comes from this country. Of course, okay, some American music too, but most influences to me are obviously from from England. So why should they listen to a German coming to their country playing music influenced by them? So they're not waiting for a band like us. That was the feeling in me ah. uh, why we went, why, why we came here. So they they're not waiting for an acoustic guitar and yeah. double yeah, bass and a banjo. The they have it here already right. and know how to use it and write brilliant songs for many many decades. And so we played, and the people smiled and applauded and bought CDs. Just that was unbelievable. Not <laughs> bad for a bunch of island monkeys. <laughs> that was really great. And adding to that, um, I think a thing many American and English musicians like when they come to Germany is that the audience really listens until mm. the na last note is faded, and then they decide, okay, that was good. Let's give them good mm. applause. So and weird at first, but uh, I've learned to love it when playing Germany. But <laughs> yeah. the first Why couple of tours, so I thought, oh my god! Yeah. Yeah. Throughout the tune, you think they hate us, they hate us, they yeah. hate us, they hate us. Oh, they're applauding. <laughs> <laughs> and coming to England, and well, yeah, we did that for ten years, and um, there was a moment, uh, several moments, thinking, oh, come on, loosen up now. If you like it, you don't have to dance to it, but show us somehow how you, that you like the music. And here in, uh, I remember one of the Leisure Tank shows we had in a great place in London, as a 100 Club. Mm. Uh, we had the chance to support, uh, do the support. Um, we just played a song, so nobody knew us. We played one of our songs, and there was a chord change from uh, verse to chorus. 
there was just this chord change in the middle of the song and the the audience went berserk and screaming yeah woohoo we've not yet finished this song i've never had this in the in my entire time playing music that a simple chord change could move an audience and this um well this uh, he was unaware of the stripper showing up behind him on stage at that <laughs> <moment>. <laughs> the truth comes out well yeah probably this this enjoyment of live music that's um that is really different to germany and uh showing your um your emotions immediately as audience that's what i really like about england well it's as well that the people here there's not so much of an age thing going on it's very often in germany that you go to a gig and the, i mean it's here as well but it's more in germany that you go to a gig and they're all the audience is all the same age most of the time they're the same age as the people on stage mm. so there's like mid-twenties or under 20s or older and you know all the grannies come out to see this old act again or something like that so it, it happened very often the first time i saw it in the czech republic that i saw an act play at a festival that we played and and everybody knew that act and it was just and i realized what's so weird about this audience i thought and then i realized it was people of all ages it was just and they all knew the song they all sang along in czech with that guy and i thought Oh, everybody knows him. And then I realized the same thing over here, that when we play somewhere or when um, I see other bands play, there are people, it can happen that a, a 15-year-old comes up to you and he talks to you about your guitar playing or a 90-year-old comes to you and he talks about uh, some folk acts that you both like, that you've both seen or something. And um, Or they talk about uh, the, the, the Who appearance on a BBC show or whatever. And um, it's, it's music isn't so such an isn't just involved in uh, rock music isn't just involved in adolescence rock music or music here is in everyone's life from the beginning and everybody kind of knows an instrument plays an instrument something like that and it's kind of every household has a certain soundtrack to it that they grow up with uh, depending how functioning it is or something but um and and i feel that we had to we treated ourselves to that as well to come here and play for people who have grown up with it because very often we played for people in germany that were not so close that asked buddy what is that instrument and we said that's a double bass you know? right but um, which is i like the way a, you play your cello no. yeah but it's, it's not their fault you know it's just that they grew up <laughs> in an in environment where there was music is just not so present it's something that doodles along on the radio somehow that just but um that i mean this is not all of germany i'm talking about but the music we're playing the whole indie thing which is super big over here which is basically mainstream indie became mainstream mm -hmm. in a way um just is that for what we did as casey mckenzie that was a that was a niche you know and there's only a certain amount of people you can reach through that who are basically nerds because they collect these records and they have this stuff and over here it's just like yeah man i grew up with that band you know my dad played it all the time or um i totally hear or the, the 17 year old comes to you and i said i totally i know you play rock music but i totally hear like 70s folk in your music and i feel like how does he know 70s folk you know because he's not just in his in his group of people that he listens to music with on his iPhone, whatever. And then because his music is more part of his whole life, he actually is able to talk to his uncle about music, you know, and that's mm. something that I didn't grow up with, that there's Me someone, <laughs> that there's someone who just 
shares it. it I grew more up like maybe people in America in the 50s felt like music that's for you young people mm. but we old people we don't do that because I come from a farm where they, my, my parents didn't have records you know so um, so I really embrace it here that I I remember at the beginning, I felt when there were people with gray hair showing up at the gigs, I felt like, oh, no, we're in the wrong place. Because in Germany, that meant these people, they don't understand English. They don't know what you're playing. They don't know what you're saying. They have no idea. that You're like an alien to them, you know. And then you, you come here, you come off stage here and you talk to them about your favorite bands and which are their favorite bands as well, you know. And I either feel like, oh, I'm getting old or um, what I really feel like is that wow you know they there there are people here beyond 50 who still go out to gigs because that doesn't happen very often in germany unless they are music cracks you know and dedicate mm. their life or they work in music industry or something like that so and this is what frightens you when you come here because people they are not fooled as easily you can't fool them by just simply making them believe they're having a good time or this could be a good tune they know what they're talking about When yeah, they if talk they don't about like music. it, I think the English audiences won't clap. And then they do something else. Indeed, absolutely. And I want that. I like that. I want an, an, an mature audience uh, which uh, only claps if they like it. And uh, every time that happens, uh, I'm happy. You know that you've done something right. Yeah. And you guys definitely are doing something right. You were just recently invited to participate at Camden Rocks. Yeah, and this is brilliant. <laughs> you know, it's very been? much been on the the, the radar, and you know, well done. When did you guys find out? Uh, just a few days ago, I think. Yeah, we we're working with this really nice guy from Beehive Productions, who's just found us on the internet and said, "I want to book you," and I was just go ahead and and then he just hooked us up with Camden Rocks and I remember I saw a friend of, friends of mine played it last year or the year before and they had a show like 11 o'clock in a pub in the morning and I don't know if everybody knows it but it's like you get a ticket for like 30 quid and you can just mm -hmm. go to the venues all day and and um, I thought okay I'm going to the gig but it's a bit weird you know I just had breakfast and but I went in and right it was like a time capsule you know I went in And it was that, oh, what's it called, the one in Camden where you always end up because it's the last one still open. Dublin Castle, usually. Yeah, mm. <laughs> I think so. And I, I came in and right away I was like, smells like spilled beer. Everything's right. Everything's mm. set for the gig. Like you can let's see a little bit of sunlight through the glass, but, but through the window, but it's, it's fine. And just the first band started and it was like 11 in the morning, but everybody was in the spirit. Like, this is Camden Rocks, you know, we start mm. early. And, I and felt, they're drinking early as well. Exactly. Some of these people look like they're still drunk from the night before. Yeah, I couldn't, it was hard to figure out. Mm. Did you just got up or is it, are you still here? <laughs> but it, it totally worked and I felt, this is, this is promising, yeah, so I hope we get an 11 o'clock slot at the Dublin Castle. <laughs> 11 in the morning, bring it on. It's the 4th of June. Oh, the 4th of June, it's, it could be that we play like a little bit of a stripped down set, but it's not really... Well, I'm st still thinking how to hide my big drums in a, a, and... Uh, smuggle them on stage. Smuggle them in as a stripped down set. But, um, <laughs> because they have, a, what's it called, um, introducing stages and stuff like that. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a little bit of an adventure playing Camden Rocks. And your next gig is in London on the 28th of February, and that is taking place at... Uh, it's a new, in, a new, new Cross, cross Inn. Inn. 
Yeah. Nucrosine, right. Yeah. Yes. Uh, That's did, the thing. Uh, Nucrosine for two years or so has the uh, Nucrosine DIY Collective, which is a group who dedicates themselves to find bands and magazines and, and fanzines and whatever artists to who have a unique that's how they describe it on their website to, to have a, who are kind of fearless in their approach of their art who are not just trying to please mm. and and find a, a, a place in something that already exists so it i think it's a I, I listened to a few of the other artists and i think it's 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 going to be a hell of a night because it's very interesting things happening so they they dedicated to that and they kind of made, made a little name for this diy collective thing that it's people who just don't give a shit about about um, what's what's famous, what's in, what's working. They just it's just people where you just sit there and you either take it or leave it. You're like it's, I like that ethos yeah. of a, a collection of people who are fearless, committed to what they're doing, and who are unique in their own right. And it sounds like the people who are putting it together are in the same headspace as the acts that they put on. And uh, you're brilliant. Do you know what time you guys will be on? No, I don't know, but I think it starts around eightish, and it will be worth seeing the whole thing because, really, I I, I listen to the other acts. It's just it's just going to be a, an emotional roller coaster that whole thing. And um, but if uh, I will put it on the Facebook and everything when I he- have details about it, there also will be the other upcoming gigs because uh, we're trying to play once to twice a month now in London. So if you're interested in listening uh, this show just after it has been aired. Um, so maybe maybe you're interested to to look us up on the internet and Facebook too. So there's one in March, the nineteenth of March. We're playing, and yeah, that's the Dublin Castle, I think. Yes, some yes, late night drinking shenanigans happening at the DC exactly. <laughs> with Casey, exactly. And Korean will, chick. Will be another one in May where we might support someone in the borderline. Oh, we're supporting the Franklies at the borderline, which this is going to be just a. I don't think anyone will remember that gig because it's it's going to be. So you better come to... Oh, and my dog is quite excited by that, clearly. <laughs> yes. Um, the borderline great. brilliant venue, great sounding venue, and uh, I think you'll go down well. The only thing annoying with that place is the pillar. It is. Yes, yeah, a bloody pillar. That's why they put the, the, the screen there. So mm. if you stand behind the pillar, you can see everything in black and white and pixelated <laughs> on a screen. And it's half it's a 1970 all over again. <laughs> and half a second later. Yeah, yes. half a second later, exactly. That's true. <laughs> I have noticed that. And where can people find out about the band? Give me your website details. It's uh, www.leisuretank.com. And there's all the kind of links you need to SoundCloud. And basically, Facebook. if you just Google Leisure Tank and... Uh, even though it, co- what is it? it? It's a, it's the amount of energy that you need to make for a cu- cup of tea with. That whenever you Google something, you yeah, need. oh right, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So better just type in w w. I make a lot of tea <laughs> uh, per day. So yeah. that, and Ooh, I, I, I use Google. Tea, I, I use Google quite regularly as well. <laughs> so this must say uh, something about myself. Yeah. Um, Leisure Tank, Booty Casey, thank you very much for visiting us here on the Dukey Radio Show. Thank we've you mentioned, so much for having us. Oh, pleasure. We've mentioned Nazis and we've mentioned the war. We've mentioned Don't military mention stuff and tanks and whatnot. <laughs> but I think we got away with it. <laughs> we did. Cool. Well, that's your lot. Casey and Booty have managed to span time, moves and musical genres, and it's actually made the pair stronger without compromising their hunger in any way. It was a real joy to have them in the studio. 
Earlier in the show, you heard excerpts from Leisure Tank's latest track, Red Roses, and you'll get to hear it in its entirety at the end of this podcast. You've been listening to our interview with Leisure Tank. My name is Dukey, and I've been your host. May the worst of tomorrow be the best of yesterday. Thanks for listening. Now it's time for me to go and uh, <clears throat> pop my weasel. Half a pound of tuppenny rice, half a pound of treacle. That's the way the money goes. Pop goes the weasel. <laughs> Click on your mouse to our Facebook page Facebook It's easy to find, it will not take an age Facebook www.facebook.com Forward slash The Dukey Radio Show The Dukey Radio Show the thin white Dukey is right. Click your way to the Dukey Radio Show Facebook page. www.facebook.com forward slash the Dukey Radio Show. The Dukey Radio Show. The Dukey Radio Show.
But our 